Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. So I want to just quickly say, although time is marching on, I want to tell you about worship. So Darlene, can you come and stand up here with me, please? I'm going to talk about Darlene. Um, so Darlene has been, for those of you who've been in the church a very long time, will know that Darlene has been singing and playing and leading bands uh, for, did we say, over 25 years, coming up to 30 probably. She's been tinkling the ivories, singing and doing that for a long, long time. But then 10 to 15 years, she's been also leading worship, heading up the worship teams and overseeing all that goes on um, and, and has done a fantastic job. Um, a couple of years ago, Mark came up and joined her, and so the two of them uh, with us have been overseeing that she needed to step away um, and hand over to Mark and Rachel. This doesn't mean she's stepping off worship, although she is for a couple of months to have a break because she needs a rest, but just the leading and the oversight of worship. So we really resonated with that and felt this it was right, the right time for Darlene. I don't want to steal things that you're going to say, but um, I've asked Darlene to just share her heart. We're going to get Mark and Rachel for a minute to pray for them. Um, but yeah, we're just so thankful to Darlene for everything she's done, and I know all of you are too. She's not just to hear God, but we really want to honour her and thank her because worship is a really hard ministry to lead. It is very time-consuming. It's Oh, this is for you. <laughs> it's... it's uh, it's emotionally and spiritually draining, and um, we just really want to honour Darlene for the years and years and years she has given to worship, both in a, just a playing capacity, but also in a leading capacity. So can you give her a huge round of applause, please? You better put those down. So I did ask Darlene if she would just share a little bit about her heart, and, and really we want to commission and hand over well to Mark and Rachel. Okay, it's actually really scary up here when you're not behind an instrument. <laughs> okay, yeah, so um, I've been heading up the team um, with a couple of breaks since about 2004. I think I took the baton on from Steve Easter, who did it before. And in that time, I've shared the leadership with other people who have come and gone, um, but I've probably been the constant in that time. I've actually been part of the worship team since I think I was about 18 Obviously, only 10 years ago. (laughs) Um, And it was Sally Madison, one of our assistant pastors, probably the first one, who really encouraged me to play the piano. And I was such a nervous person. Actually, I still am quite nervous. Mark's always telling me off for for not being confident enough. But it was her that really awakened in me my love and passion for worship. Something stirred in me back then, and it's still in my heart now. And... um, I don't think that will ever go away. I believe God's put that there. And it is my desire to always come with a full heart, being grateful and thankful. I've completely gone off script here. So <laughs> no, I'll, try to, I'll try to get back to my notes. So, yeah, in that time, I think Matt and I are probably the longest standing team members. And, um, you know, we still do that with, uh, you know, a real heart and a passion to drive the worship forward. And it's been an honour, real honour to serve the team. It has been hard work. And actually, this morning it was quite nice <laughs> to actually prepare my dinner before I came to church. That means we'll eat before four o'clock today, which doesn't happen if you're serving on a Sunday, as you know. If you're here at half past eight, you don't really get to eat until four o'clock. Um, but, you know, that's fine. It's about bringing a sacrifice. And uh, I, I've always done that very willingly. So, um, 
Where did I get to? So, yeah, it was about the beginning of last year, actually. I had a stirring, if you like, just itchy feet. I, I, I walked to work quite regularly, and I sort of tried to pray and listen to God. And I just felt like God was wanting to do something. And so Keely's known this all the way through last year, and I've been desperate, actually, to hand it over, but she wouldn't let me. Um, and then... And I still don't really know what that thing is, actually, but I'm ready and willing to serve God in whatever capacity, even if it's, you know, making the teas and coffees, that is just as important to sort of um, leading the worship. So I'm still listening to God, and that's why I'm taking a slight break, because I really want to hear what God has for us next as a couple, actually, Mark and myself, because that's my desire, I said to the leaders, to really serve God here um, as a couple. I think, you know, when we come to worship... It's very easy, isn't it, to get caught up in our personal preferences, what we like and what we don't like. And really, that's so wrong, because worship is about Jesus. And, you know, there's always something to be thankful and grateful for, from the smallest thing to the biggest thing. And if that's where we start from when we come to worship, you really do meet with God. And, you know, these songs we're singing this morning, you know, actually, I'm glad I didn't have to talk the moment after worship because my heart was so full God has been so good to me and you know that's that's where worship comes from it pours out of a thankful heart so I'd encourage you to really come expecting every Sunday for God to meet you as you worship him if you make it about him he will meet you and he will transform you in that in that moment so Mark and Rachel fantastic Um, I will still support them and work with them and that that's lovely Please pray for them. Please support them. And, you know, occasionally maybe buy them lunch. Put put some money behind the cafe because they're often here a lot longer than everybody else. And they probably don't get to eat till very late or eat at all, probably. Um, So, you know, support them, encourage them and build them up. And it's such an honour to hand this baton over. It's always really important to transition well. And I think Chris and Angela and Simon and Keeley have demonstrated that so well over the last few years. I want to do that now. So it is a real honour to hand over to them. Um, I could waffle on. I'm not going to. I've completely gone off key. Um, One more thing. I think what's really good about being now linked to Vineyard is that we are part of something that God is doing nationally, not just in our little corner. Worship always has to be outward looking. We have to sort of know and listen to what God's doing nationally as well as in our church. And it was so encouraging to me when we listened to um, the live cast on the opening night that they sang a song that I felt last year was a song that was, God was really bringing back for us to use, and that was Did You Feel the Mountains Tremble? And it's something stirred in my heart last week. So when I heard them singing, I was thinking, yes, yes, we're actually listening to what God wants for worship across the nation. And that is so important. If we're going to draw more people in, we have to be plugged into that. I finish with the words of a song, (laughs) a new song. This is where I come from. Um, I listen to new worship songs all the time and some some aren't so good as others but this one has really um, stirred my heart the last few weeks and um, I'll try not to cry as I say it. It's just the chorus. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And I would encourage you to do that as you come every Sunday. Just come, sing your hearts out for the goodness of God and all he's done.
you want to say something? So, yeah, the last, last couple of years have been absolutely amazing, actually, um, working alongside Darlene with this. And um, she is, I think, she said she's a very nervous person, but um, she is so gifted. She's so anointed. She is so amazing. I can't wait for your break to end. So you're, you're back with us. <laughs> no pressure. But, um, yeah, I know for a fact that, that whatever it is that God is leading into you next, um, it, it's going to be absolutely amazing. Um, and, you know, we also resonate with that whole sort of couples ministry thing. So you and, and Mark, as you serve together, as we serve together, as Simon Keeley and others in the church serve together, we, we know that God's going to do amazing things. And, uh, yeah, I just, yeah, it's been amazing. So thank you so much. Um, I know all the pressure's on us now, um, but just wanted to encourage you as a church, actually, um, that this this transition um, hopefully is going to be very smooth. Nothing's going to change. We're not going to suddenly um, start doing uh, electronic dance music as of next week, because um, I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> but um, we really, really believe absolutely passionately from the bottom of our hearts that God is about to do amazing things here. Over the last few months, a number of people we know um, within the church and outside of the church have been experiencing God's sort of positioning them. And we believe that God has positioned us, uh, Simon and Keeley and others, in this place. He's sort of forming this jigsaw puzzle which is beginning to take shape. And we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is about to do amazing things amazing things and I'm glad that Simon's uh, sermon this morning is, is entitled Overflow because I believe that out of the overflow of the worship that we bring to God on a Sunday morning out of the overflow of that as we meet with him and he meets with us he's going to be stirring our hearts to do amazing things because we are his feet his hands his voice in this town and beyond I said at the leaders meeting a couple of weeks ago that um, I believe that as as we as a church uh, really get stuck in with worship, I believe out of that we're going to see some of the existing ministries take amazing uh, steps. For instance, I think I use uh, the healing rooms as a as a, as, a, as it's going to be every week, all day on a weekend. Um, you'll get you'll be it's all right. Don't pull that face. You'll have more people. More people will be stirred to be. Um, call to that ministry and out of that there'll be people going out onto the streets because it's an outward facing thing out of the overflow of our hearts for God through worship we are going to see him use us to do amazing things thank you so why don't we stand because we want to commission Mark and Rachel well and Darlene wants to be able to hand over to them so if you if you want to would you stretch your hand forward as we just pray for Mark and Rachel, um, Darlene's going to pray and then I will, just a short prayer just to commission these guys. God, I thank you that you have always given us so much here. We're just so grateful to you for all you've provided, for providing so many gifted musicians over the years that have been able to lead us into your presence. And God, it's so exciting now to take the next step in this journey of worship here at Riverside. And God, I just lift to you, Mark and Rachel, I thank you for their faithfulness in serving you. Thank you for the time they give sacrificially every day of the week into bringing their best. And I just pray that you would pour into them all that they need to be able to lead the team. I pray that that you would give them the gifts they need. Thank you that when we come to you, we come to you quite often open-handed. And when we come like that, you fill us up 
And so I just pray your Holy Spirit would fill them from top to bottom and be everything they need. Protect them, I pray, as well as they're on the front line of this ministry, God. Just protect their marriage, protect their family, and be everything to them that they need in the days ahead. Thank you for them, Lord. Amen. Yes, Jesus, we just commission Mark and Rachel now to take the mantle from Darlene to um, oversee worship here. We just thank you for them, we love them, and we just want to bless them and encourage them into everything that you have for them and for us as a church. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Can I just again exhort you to please encourage Mark and Rachel and all the worship leaders uh, that we have and everyone in the band. It's a very vulnerable ministry. It's the one the devil hates. Why does he hate it? Because worship is so important. It brings us into the presence of God. So please encourage Mark and Rachel, encourage the guys on a Sunday. They've already practiced for hours in the week. They come at half past eight on a Sunday to serve you. And we are so grateful to everybody who's a member of any of our bands, um, whether it's prayer meetings or Sundays. It's um, such a privilege to have them all as part of the church. So please, let's be an encouraging church. Let's say positive things to them and just build them up so that the enemy does not bring them down in either their personal life or here. So can I ask that of you? That would be fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Mark and Rachel. 316, thank you. You're following Becky. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Simon. Oh, don't forget your flowers. Darlene. Oh, yeah, okay, right. No, I shall just... Good to see you this morning. How are we doing? One of the uh, real advantages of going away to somewhere like uh, the National Leaders Conference is you get to meet people who don't know you. Uh, and they often have words for you. They, they'll prophesy or they'll speak into your life. And they've got no idea where you're from or what you're doing or what your situation or circumstance is. And uh, we had numerous words given to us over uh, the time we were there. And they all had one common theme. God said, think bigger, think more, forget limitations. So whether it was analogies of TARDISes, whether it was analogies of tugboats towing uh, cruise liners, whether it was driving around in tanks, which I love that word. <laughs> I like tanks. I like armoured vehicles. Okay. And so we're sitting at this table waiting for a prophetic word. We went to a prophetic workshop and we're sitting there. And this lady comes over and sits down and says, I'll see you in a tank. I was like, yes. <laughs> and Keely went, I don't believe it. <laughs> he loves tanks. And the woman said, I know, God told me. I was like, yes. <laughs> but the tank was just another analogy of God equipping us to do what any, wherever we needed. We could go anywhere, we could do whatever we want. There was no threshold, no barrier to the ministry of God that was being birthed uh, in this area and in Riverside. So I really want to encourage you. I really want to encourage you to, to think and we are, we are people in the church who are bigger on the inside than the outside. We're going to have an influence that goes beyond uh, what we would see in the natural. So I want to encourage you that God is doing some great stuff. Uh, and God is speaking words of, of release and provision over the whole of the UK. And, uh, and our job as kingdom people is to s- sort of get with the program, is to sort of recognise what God's doing. And don't, and don't think about limitations. Don't think about... Well, the most profound words we had given to us through someone who was speaking. He said, there's more of God in you than you. I was like, you're right. <laughs> you know, sometimes we look inside and we see all these limitations of ourselves, and we see uh, where we fail and we see where we, don't, we think we don't measure up. And he said, there's more of God in you than you because you died and you're hidden in Christ. And that's an incredible truth 
if we believe that and walk that as, as believers and followers of Christ, that changes everything. So I want to encourage you that God is on the move. Amen? Amen. So our new series called Overflow. We believe, Kenny and I and the leadership team, that Riverside is called to be a, a church of increasing generosity. Uh, we had this word, we first came down here and moved to Whitstable. God said, I want you to be good for everyone. And we want to be a church that is a church of increasing generosity in everything that we do. We want this overflow, this cascade uh, to be coming through us individually and the life of the church flowing out to the community. And uh, over the next three weeks, we're going to look at this whole concept of overflow, of what does it mean to live a life of overflow? Because often we just live a life of, of just about, don't we? We live a life of, of just making sure that we've, we've just got enough, or we, we, you know, we've, we've, a, a life of just about rather than a life of overflow. One of my first revelations of, of that God wanted to overflow through me was not actually through uh, money or resources or time. It was through ministry. We, we had, had the uh, blessing of being around some people in the vineyard in the early days, and they were always saying, it's about Ephesians 4, it's the equipping of the saints, the releasing of ministry. And so the first time you pluck up courage to give somebody a word that you think God's given you, it's a real milestone. Because when you give that word, and it might be an obscure word, it might be a word you've got no understanding what it means to you, but you pluck up courage and you give it, and then that, and that person suddenly experiences the life of God through that word, you suddenly realise actually you're just a conduit. You're a conduit or a channel for the life of God to flow through you. And, and as you do that, you realise more and more that God's in the business of just cascading his life through people to people. And often where believers have made the mistake is they believe they're somehow supposed to warehouse God <laughs> rather than give him away. So we, we, we find believers who just have, have received so much teaching, so much input, and they've all filed it around their shelves nicely, and it's all tucked away for a rainy day, and none of it has been flow, none of it's flowed out or cascaded down to the people around us. And Jesus is in the cascading business. When he sent out the 12, he said, travel light, don't take extra stuff, don't take extra purses or sandals, because I'm going to just cascade life through you. You don't need to sort of stock up. You need to be releasing. You need to give away. You need to freely give as you've freely received. And that's our passion over these next three weeks, is to think about what it means to be a people of overflow, a people who recognize that we're these conduits of God's life that comes through us. So we're not supposed to be caretakers, we're more, well, think of yourself more like a postman. You're supposed to deliver what God has given you to deliver to other people. You're supposed to cascade it on. If your postman just collected all the posts every week and put it in his, his front room, he'd be a poor postman, wouldn't he? I'm looking after it, I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of it, it's safely there, don't worry, no one can get it. But actually a postman is supposed to cascade that information, that flow, and that's exactly what we're called to do as Christians. We're not just supposed to receive more and more and more and more. We're supposed to pass it on, pass it on. And this revelation that God is using you and I to bring his kingdom is, is fundamental to our understanding of church. Because anything we receive in here today, anything we receive in the week, it's not just ours to ponder and store, it's ours to pass on. And if we become that people, we become a people of overflow. When King David was overseeing the gifts for the building of the temple by his son Solomon, he said this in 1 Chronicles 1 Chronicles 29, 14. He said, Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. We have given you only what comes from your hand. 
So David had an understanding, even though he was very wealthy as a king, enormous provision at his hand, he recognised that all of it came from God and was just passing through for the purposes of God. He understood he was a channel of blessing. And he went on to say, Lord, all this abundance that we have, all that we've provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. So rather than standing there thinking, what a great temple I've built with all my stuff, haven't I done God a favour? He recognised that the ability to do what he did came from God and just cascaded through him for the blessing of others. And so when we get to the point where we recognise that everything God puts in our hand, whether it's our time, our energy, our money, our resources, our gifts, our testimony, everything God puts in our hand is there just to be steward, stewarded. It's not there to be held. It's there to be given away and to cascade to others. And we want to look at a story today of a church in Macedonia. I'll put a small piece of this in the, uh, in the update about how a church in Macedonia that was under tremendous pressure still managed to cascade and overflow blessing to others. So if you can look at 2 Corinthians 8, I'll put the words on the screen as well. I'll just quickly look at this passage. So this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So the background to this story is that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's hoping by the time he gets there, they will have collected uh, some funds to help bless the impoverished in the churches to support each other, because the church in Jerusalem is under extreme poverty. And so he's saying, why don't we collect a gift together that we can use to support the church in Jerusalem? And he's using the church in Macedonia to provoke the church in Corinth, because the church in Macedonia is a church that also is in extreme poverty. But somehow, from within that poverty, an enormous generosity has welled up of joy, generosity, and has overflowed with a gift, a gift that seems to go far beyond the ability of the church to provide. The guys in Macedonia were desperately poor. They were under really hard persecution in the area they were in. And yet they didn't let that limit them in terms of the overflow to the church in Jerusalem. So Paul says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And the word that's used throughout this passage is the word charis, which means grace. They've been given a grace by God of generosity. Grace means gift. It's like an impartation. They'd received a gift or a grace of generosity. Their hearts had been divinely influenced towards kindness towards generosity. They weren't looking at their situation or their circumstances to define what they should be. They were looking to God, and God was channeling through them an overflow to the church in Jerusalem. 
Paul says, they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So Paul is being a bit cheeky here. He's saying, right, Corinthian church, you're quite proud. Because the Corinthian church was a proud church. They had all these spiritual gifts going on. They had all this stuff going on. And Paul says, look at you, you're excelling in all these different areas. You excel in faith. You excel in speech. You excel in knowledge. You excel in complete earnestness. And you excel in love. Ah, but there's one card you're missing in your collection. And that's the one of excelling in generosity. As a church over here, a humble church in Macedonia, haven't got a lot going on, and they've just basically blown you out of the water in terms of the generosity that's welled up within them. So, hey, Corinth, how about stepping up to the plate and how about being the church that God is calling you to be? So Paul is being cheeky. He's provoking the church in Corinth. He's saying, don't you want the grace that they've got? Don't you want the, the, the excelling that they, they're doing? Don't you want that as well? And he's not just doing that to provoke them. He's recognising that if they limit their growth in one area, they limit their growth in all areas. If they're not willing to grow in this particular area of generosity, it will limit their ultimate spiritual growth as a church anyway. If you want to experience the full grace of God, Paul is saying, then you need to look at what's happening in the Macedonian churches. So he goes on to say this in the, uh, in the next chapter. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give whatever you decided to do in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. And he goes on to say, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. I love this, this last section. You'll be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. And your generosity results in thanksgiving to God and also overflowing. This wonderful cascading that's taking place through the life of these churches. When I think of this, I think about those, um, those champagne towers that you sometimes see. They have them on ships and things down there at weddings and they stack all the glasses up into a pyramid. And at some point, some guy comes along with a huge bottle of wine, uh, champagne, and he pours it into the top glass. And as that fills, it then flows down, fills the next glasses and cascades down and fills the next and the next and the next. A champagne tower only works if the champagne cascades down, doesn't it? Imagine if the top glass was big enough to take the whole bottle. <laughs> You'd be like, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. <laughs> it only works because each glass can only take part of the fullness that's being poured into it. There has to be an overflow. There has to be a cascade. And that's a picture of really what God wants in the life of the church. Because none of us can hold the fullness of God. None of us is supposed to hold the fullness of God to ourselves. It's always supposed to cascade out. It's always supposed to cascade down. Whether it's worship, whether it's, um, whether it's your time, whether it's your forgiveness, whether it's the grace that you demonstrate, whether it's the love that you show, it's always supposed to cascade down. 
It's never supposed to be stored up in one place. Jesus said, freely you received, so freely give. Let that cascade down to the people around you. I wrote in this month's Reflections that uh, we live in a culture that encourages us really to increase our living and not our giving. We live in a culture that would say, well, if your glass is getting full, if your cup is getting full, just get a bigger one. Get a bigger one so you can, you can hold more, you can have more, you can keep more. And so that's the culture we live in. If the, if the flow into your life increases, then just get a bigger bucket to contain it. You know, so you can store it up, so you can keep it, because he who dies with the most stuff wins, yeah? That's what culture would say. He who dies the most stuff wins. And so you, if your cup's getting full, just get a bigger cup. If, you, if your inflow is getting more, increase your living. Up your standard. Increase so you can get more of that stuff into your life. A man called uh, Donald McGravin, he, he, looking at um, what happened when people came to Christ, he coined a phrase called redemption and lift. And this is a, a, a negative impact of somebody who comes to Christ. You say, well, how can that possibly be the case? Well, he recognized and saw that people who were in very humble circumstances, when they came to Christ, they would invariably start to get their lives sorted out. They would maybe get a better job. They might uh, um, you know, get better skills. They may have lived a dysfunctional life, and now they live a more ordered life, so they're more employable. So they began to increase uh, the wealth in their lives. But often what happened is as they increased the wealth in their lives, this wealth would, would lead them away from dependence on God. It would lift them out of their situation. And it would also lift them away from the very people that God had called them to bless and to witness to and to cascade down to. So Donald says this redemption lift can take people clearly out of the place where God wants them to flourish and to thrive and to cascade his love to those around them. And the problem comes when we use wealth or we use what God pours into our lives to lift ourselves away from dependency on God. (coughs) That's never how it's supposed to work. It's never how it's supposed to work. Jesus confronted the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. The young man came to him and said, you know, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And and Jesus said, well, you need to honor your mother and father. He started going through the commandments. And he said, well, I've done that one. I've done that one. I've done that one. I've done that one. And Jesus said, okay, then. He said, why don't you sell your half, give to the poor, and follow me? Now, Jesus wasn't against the man's wealth. He wasn't trying to undermine the fact that the man was a man of means. But what he recognized was that man's wealth had lifted him away from dependency on God. And that cascading wasn't taking place. So Jesus said, how about cascading what God's given you to those around you, and then you'll really see heaven. You'll really get an understanding of what the kingdom is. And the rich man went away sad because he wasn't prepared to do that. He wanted the bigger cup. He wanted to hang on to the stuff, the blessing that God had poured into his life. And in another gospel, it says Jesus went away sad as well. They both went away sad because Jesus was saddened by the fact this man wasn't going to experience the fullness of what God wanted. And the man went away sad because he thought his, his, uh, his life consisted on what he, of what he owned and what he had. So redemption and lift. We're never supposed to be lifted away from dependency on God. We're never supposed to be, regardless of what God gives you or pours into your life in terms of blessing or resource, that's never supposed to lift you away from God and lift you to a place of independence and isolation. It's always supposed to be cascaded through us and down to the people around us. So we have to think about that cup, don't we? The cup of our life and what God pours into it. Uh, Keeney and I 
since about, well, about nearly 30 years now, we've given away a tenth of our income uh, to the church, at least a tenth of our income and other percentages to other things. And uh, throughout our marriage and raising children, we, pressures came along that, um, that could have caused us to reduce that flow. The classic one that we, we talked about often is school trips. You know, the kids would come back and say, everyone's going on a trip to X, everyone's going on a trip to Y, you know, and it's going to cost whatever it would cost, you know, substantially more than we'd budgeted for in terms of our giving in our life. And so we had a choice at that point. We could say, okay, everyone else is doing that, so therefore you've got to do it as well. So we'll, we'll just stop giving to church for the next five months so you can go on your school trip. We'd have reduced the overflow from our life into the life of God. Um, but we didn't do that because we felt that even if our child couldn't go on that trip, somehow God would bless them anyway. Because Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added. So we believed, even if they couldn't go on that skiing trip or whatever trip it might be, that God would still bless them and enable his life to flow in them and through them. And we talk about it now, don't we? We say, did you miss those trips? And they're like, no, they were fine. They, was, they said, we understood why you did it. And actually, it's amazing what God does. It's amazing how God gives back and replaces and... You read the story of Abraham and Isaac, don't you, where you know, Isaac was prepared to kill his son, somehow believing that God could resurrect him. Because I've heard God, it's a crazy story that you want me to sacrifice my son, but you said my, I'll be blessed, in fact all the nations will be blessed through the heirs of my son. So somehow I'm killing him, but you're going to resurrect him because you're not a God that is double-minded or changes standards. So, so when, you, when you choose to sacrifice in a life of overflow you believe that God will somehow resurrect that in a different way. That blessing will still be present. It's not, like it's, a, it's not like you're giving away, so therefore your life will be reduced. As you give away, you're doing kingdom ministry, so therefore kingdom will increase in your life and the life of the people around you. And it's never a reductionist thing. God is never interested in reducing you in that way. He wasn't, Jesus wasn't looking to reduce the rich man to make him poor. He was saying, to understand something of the way the kingdom works, why not try this? If you're really hungry for the kingdom, why not try this? So whatever God puts in your hand, you think, how can I cascade this through to others? How can the life of the kingdom flow through me and overflow? These Macedonian churches, they overflow with joy and expressions of generosity. Let's think about that for a moment. When Paul writes later on, God loves a cheerful giver, you know, in the, in the classic, this is the money talk, okay? It's the money talk this week. And so I want you all to be cheerful and put your hands in your pockets and give. That's a real, again, a real reducing of actually what this story is about. What this story about is about is that generosity starts with joy. You can't be a generous person unless you're a joyous person. Because, because it has to flow, it has to bubble up from the inside. You know, if you're being coerced or sort of, you know, manipulated or strong-armed into being generous, then you're not being generous. You're just being extorted. And so Paul says, generosity starts with joy. Overflow comes from the inflow, doesn't it? As God pours into our lives, pours in his love and his presence and his blessing, then that starts to fill us up. It starts to fill us up and it begins to displace we haven't got much room in our lives for anything else because God's so big. God starts to fill us up and fill us up and fill us up. And we get filled up and stuff gets automatically cascaded out of us. We don't need as much stuff. We don't, we don't need that. We don't, I really struggle at Christmas. You know, what do I want? I don't want anything. 
I want God. <laughs> you know, I haven't got a big Amazon wish list of 50 things I want on there because really I don't need anything more. God, I've got a roof over my head. I've got food in my cupboards. I want more of God. <coughs> and so I want what God gives me to cascade out to the people around me. And the Macedonian church had an abundance of poverty, but in the Greek it says they had a superabundance of joy. Isn't that amazing? An abundance of poverty, but a superabundance of joy. Their joy trumped their poverty. What God had put in them trumped their circumstance. They weren't going to let what was happening around them bring them down. They had a superabundance. It went over and above what they were experiencing in terms of persecution and in terms of poverty. Their overflow came from this huge inflow that God had poured into them. Wouldn't it be great to have that as a church? A superabundance of joy? You're all going, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I can feel that. I'm, I'm feeling that super abundance of joy. <laughs> we may need to take some steps to get there, but it's possible. <laughs> but remember, this is, this is a supernatural impartation. God has given them a grace. They've been hungry, and God has said, okay, I see you're hungry. I'm going to put something into you that goes beyond your circumstance. And as it goes in, it begins to bubble up, and there's an overflow. There's an overflow, a cascade. You cascade peace, you cascade life, you cascade grace, you cascade forgiveness, you cascade thanksgiving, you cascade joy. It begins to bubble up. Someone once told me, you know, when you drive along with a cup full of coffee in your car, do you do that? No? Okay. But you, you, you imagine, you know, a, a cup full to the brim and, uh, and you break sharply or you have a little bump and, and it, it spills out. Now, you are like a cup. You are full of stuff. Some good stuff and some bad stuff. And when you get bumped, it spills out. So if ever you want to figure out what's inside you, just go back over the week, look at where you were bumped and what, what came out. Because that gives you an indication of what you're full of. Because <laughs> Jesus said, at the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. At the overflow... So whatever you're full of comes out. And most of the time, we're pretty good at keeping the bad stuff in and letting the good stuff out. But when we get sort of broadsided or caught off guard, normally in the car or wherever it might be, what comes out of you is what's inside you. And, that's, and Jesus said, you know, I want to transform that. I want, to, I, want to, I want you to have a grace inside of you that transforms and goes beyond your circumstances. So rather than you just being like a thermometer, just responding to the temperature you're in, you're a thermostat. You can change the atmosphere. So if someone cuts you up, you bless them. Bless them, Lord. <laughs> someone nicks your parking space, you bless them, Lord. Grace, forgiveness. Someone, you know, wrongly says this about you or whatever. You don't respond in kind, because Jesus said everyone does that. <laughs> everyone responds in kind. But you're called to be different. And this Macedonian church was different because it had something placed inside them by God. A grace, a gift. It says in Ephesians 3.19, Paul prays for the church. He says, you are to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, I haven't got a scoop in my drawer that's a God scoop. You know, I've got different size scoops of porridge and that, but I haven't got a, oh, I haven't got a God scoop. Because that would be a big scoop, wouldn't it? <laughs> filled to the fullness of the measure of God. Paul is using the, this, this language to say, I want a measure poured into you that's a God measure. That's, 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 that's like... No other measure. 
I want the fullness of God in you. Like God takes a massive portion of himself and pours it into you. And it's like no other measure. He can't, he, he's thinking of ways to, to make this as big as possible. Filled to the fullness of the measure of God. Filled as much as God can fill you and as much as God is full. And that's how much he wants to put in you so that you become a person of overflow. So it doesn't matter whether your cup is small or whether your cup is large or whatever circumstances you find yourself in, you can always be a person of overflow. Jesus, uh, in Mark 12, he tells this story of watching the temple treasury. He sits there and observes the rich people coming and putting money into the treasury and making quite a show of it. And he sees the widow come and put in two copper coins. And he says, she's the one. She was practicing overflow because she put in, in utter dependency on God. She put in essentially all she had into God's hands and believed as a person of overflow. She carried that spirit that the Macedonian church has carried. That whatever God gives me, I'm going to let it flow through me. And so our heart for Riverside is we will become this increasingly generous church. And this isn't just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to talk, you know, normally churches do a money talk once a year. This isn't the money talk, okay? The money talk is three talks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be talking about this over the next three weeks because we want to talk about being, because again, we just think about money. God doesn't need our money. But we live and exist with money all around us. And the reason we're here in this building is because we've had a life of generosity in the life of this church. Yeah? But it hasn't just existed in money. It's existed in all sorts of different ways of people giving themselves, like Darlene just shared, giving her, li- her life selfishly to worship <coughs> for decades, overflowing in worship. The new guys, Mark and Rachel, giving their life. We all give our lives somewhere. We give away of ourselves. We live lives of overflowing generosity. I, I thought I'd just do a quick piece about, I'm going to call it under the bonnet. So how it works around here. Just some information for you you might find helpful. Give me as quick as I can. You may or may not know this depending on how soon or how late you've been in the church in terms of time, but we are independent. There's no, there's no financial backers behind Riverside. We haven't got a money tree. We haven't got a golden goose. We haven't got a rich sugar daddy. All that you see <laughs> comes from the people in the church. There is no other source of income for the life of Riverside. And it's amazing that we're in this facility, isn't it? Because we're not a huge church. We're quite a humble church, but God has released so much blessing through us and we want that culture to continue. We want that generosity to continue. We've got a history of generosity. This church has existed for, what's, it, well, what's the actual official date? I'll get confused. In 1925, 1927. 1927, this church was birthed. And since that point, this church has had incredibly generous people flowing through it to where we are today. And if we're going to continue that culture of generosity as we grow... We each need to keep coming back to the cup that God's given us and how we're living a life of overflow. Because it can't stop with a generation, can it? It wasn't just a generation of people that were called generosity. He's calling every generation to generosity. So as we look at our lives, am I being generous towards God and being generous towards others is the question we can always ask ourselves. Many people tithe, which is a really old-fashioned thing. (laughs) They give 10% of their income to the life of the church. Now, tithing isn't very fashionable anymore, but tithing is biblical. And the reason this church has 
got to where it is is because a whole generation upon generation of people have given sacrificially in this way. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. And so the principle is, I'm going to give the first fruit of my income away to the life of the church. And the t- We can talk more about the tithe in weeks to come, and we've practised tithing for many years, as many people in the church have. Some people struggle with the concept of tithing. They think it's, it's too much. They think it's, a, you know, it's almost offensive that God would want 10% of your money. Well, God doesn't want 10% of your money. It's just a way of you honouring him with what comes into your life, flowing out of your life again. And if you've never tithed, it might seem a bridge too far for you, but I would encourage you at least to explore what it means to live in that way. Many people go far beyond tithing. They excel in their generosity, just like the Macedonian churches did. They've invested uh, tens upon tens of thousands in the life of Riverside. And and they they aren't shouting about it. They aren't making a big fuss about it. But we have some extraordinary givers in the life of the church. But we also have some people who give extraordinarily, not only in finance, but in terms of their time, their energy, their resources, their gifts. We want to continue to excel in terms of generosity. I thought I'd throw in one fact for you. It might be, might be interesting. It costs around £28,000 a year just to turn the heating and lighting on Riverside. Okay? So when you come in, you experience a nice warm room and you, it's not dark, the lights are on. That's how much it costs to heat and light a facility like this for a year. And so that money comes from somewhere. It comes from you. It comes from generous givers who pour into the life of this church. Now, I haven't said that to shock you. I'll just give, to give you an insight into what big facilities take to work because some people think the fairies come and turn the lights on. Or, <laughs> or we've got... I'm being, sorry, I'm being, a, bit, being a bit silly. But, but sometimes, because we don't think about those things because they just happen, then sometimes we don't take them seriously as we should. And so if we're going to continue to provide warm, excellent spaces for people and visitors, we have to think about how can we continue to live lives of generosity. Overflow. So over the next few weeks, we're going to continue to push into this theme of overflow. And I don't want you to run away and hide because you think, I'm going to be talking about, he's going to be talking about money for three weeks, and so I'm going to go and hide somewhere. <laughs> You're not responsible to me. You're never going to be responsible to me. You're, you're, you're responsible to your Father in heaven. He's the one who's going to say to you, when you get to heaven, when you stand before him, on your own, not behind me, you're going to say to him, he's going to say, what did, I, what did you do about putting your hand? There's so many parables about stewardship that Jesus told. And he's going to say, what, what did you do about putting your hand? And, that's, and, he's, and our, our job is, well, Lord, I tried, to, I tried to invest in the kingdom. I tried to live in a way that reflected who you are. I tried to live a life that pointed to heaven. And so, so we, will, we will never chase you for your money. There was, um, we're going to... T- Talk more uh, in a couple of weeks about they did an offering at, at Vineyard NLC. It was for the, um, the, the youth camp DTI that's going to take over from a portion of Soul Survivor. Mike Pilavachi's asked Vineyard to pick up a portion of that because the DNA is the same. Vineyard and Soul Survivor DNA is essentially the same. So we took a large offering at, um, at uh, NLC and we wanted to be super generous with that. And we raised, I think, about £340,000. £260,000. That's not enough. Because okay, to, to put on a large-scale youth conference for the next few years requires significant input. So we're going to give you the chance also to 
potentially invest in that vision. And we feel as we sow that seed of vision for our young people and resource for our young people, God will, will reap a harvest, not only nationally but here in the life of the church as well. So we want to be a church that is continually generous, <coughs> continually saying, Lord, how can I cascade what you've put in my life to the life of others? Let's stand together, please. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.